next week. Um, one standalone and another one Mother's Day. We're excited about those. And then we're going to dive into some Genesis stuff uh, that's going to be very challenging. I'm excited about that. <clears throat> but I want to finish up this series strong. We started with Judas. And we asked the question, how in the world did Judas interact with Jesus? Miss all the cues that he was loved. And there were some really overt ones. And still ended up selling him for 30 pieces of silver. Why did he betray him like that? So we started asking ourselves, what are things that happen in our life that create this kind of disconnect? The, the things that we know that are good, right, and true, we know them, but they don't affect our beliefs, they don't affect how we live. And so we've been looking at some of those, and we said, man, one of those is if you're full of guilt and shame. If that's what fills up your life, it will steer you and direct you. We also said, hey, it's possible that you might care more about what other people think than what God thinks. And if that happens, you could end up with this disconnect, knowing all the right things but missing out. And then we talked about how God loves you, man. He's not trying to hide anything from you. Knowledge and wisdom is there to be found, but if you're not in a learning mood, if you're not in that kind of attitude, you could miss what God has for your life. So you end up with a disconnect. And uh, that motivation, that motivation that Judas had of somebody who loved him, that God has for us, it's been my privilege to talk about that for years and years, where I'll talk to you about the love that we see through God's work through Jesus. It's a, it's a motivation that matters. I do these things in my life because I was first loved, and that motivation carries us forward. And we're going to look at another idea today that could cause a disconnect between our head and our hearts. And we're also going to talk about Jesus again. But it's going to be a little different than what you're used to. Because in this section of Scripture, Jesus is going off. I mean, he is fired up and he's shooting bullets. And you know when you get into a conversation or a conflict with somebody, they'll tell you, hey, don't use you statements, use I feel statements. That way, that way they have to kind of react to this is the way you feel. Jesus is like, nope, you statements. You statements over and over and over again. He's firing away. Um, it's kind of odd. We're, we're used to a Jesus that approaches a woman at a well who's from a, an ethnic group that everybody rejects, and he treats her kindly. We're used to a Jesus who's approached by a woman found in adultery. They bring her and throw her at his feet. Or a woman in, a, in the street who grabs his tassels would not have done that. Or lepers who broke social protocol and approached Jesus. Not acceptable in their time. He did it. Or a tax collector who says, will you come to my home and eat? Not something that would happen. He was in a category of people called sinners. You didn't do that. And time after time after time, Jesus responds with love. He responds with gentleness. He responds with kindness. And it seems fairly consistent. Those who are broken or lost, they receive the gentle end from Jesus. But the people in this section of Scripture, they are convinced that, that they're righteous. They're good enough. Uh, these were religious leaders of the day. And if you would have asked anybody, these people were righteous. They put on a righteous show. And Jesus talked to them harshly. I mean, this is harsh. And I, I think um, we're going to eventually get to it. I think there are reasons that he did that. Uh, but in case, just in case you think, I'm just kind of 
trying to make it dramatic. I'm trying to paint fireworks that aren't there. I want you to see this. This section of scripture is recorded by both Matthew and Luke. You should read both, that, both sections if you want the full picture. One tells a story. The other one is giving, here's, here's exactly what happened, just the facts. Um, but I want to show you what happens. This is in Luke. This is in the middle of the conversation in Luke chapter 11, verse 45. Somebody interrupts Jesus. One of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Look, we're okay with you insulting the Pharisees. Go right at it. But now you just crossed the line and you're starting to insult us too. And what's hilarious, from that point forward, everything that Jesus says, he just includes this group. He goes, you teachers of the law and Pharisees. It's a, it's a combo every time from this point forward. He's like, I'm sorry you got left out of the insults. That was never my intention. You were supposed to be part of the conversation the whole time. Like, here we go. And he picks them up and he just keeps going, doesn't slow down. They're feeling insulted. I'm not making a dramatic statement here. And look at how this ends. It doesn't end well. You want to know, I'm talking about fireworks. In verse 53 of Luke chapter 11, it says this. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions. You want to mess with us? We'll mess with you. We'll try to catch you in some things. We're going to try to make you look bad. We're going to try to make it look like you're not as holy as we are. You want an enemy? You got it. And it starts with this fierce opposition, but it turns into hate. And these guys will eventually look as payback. They're going to want the life of Jesus. So this is intense. This is all kind of unfolding here. And, there, and the question is why? I would tell you that I think Jesus is dropping truth bombs, and we're going to get to those, but he's dropping truth bomb after truth bomb, and why would he do it? Well, early in the text, and we're going to look at this one, he says, you represent God to this nation of Israel, and you're doing such a terrible job at it. You've got to stop. Like, I know you know what the Torah says but I need more from you than what you're doing. And here's the second reason I think that he's doing this. I actually think it's just a different side of Jesus' love. These Pharisees had built a crust around their lives. They, they were righteous in their minds no matter what, and if anything was going to break through that, um, Jesus was going to try to shake them up, test them, rock, do anything he could to get them to consider that maybe the path they were on wasn't right. And it, it doesn't work. They dig in. They become obstinate. But there was an attempt, because he loved them, to try to get them to see the truth. But there was a problem. The problem with the Pharisees is that they had this outward representation of righteousness and and they were pretty good they knew the all the laws in the torah they made up more laws than the torah had just to make sure that they were following the laws in the torah and they they would make sure everybody knew they were following them to the t but the problem was there was something internal inside their own hearts and lives 
where they had created a different person who didn't believe any of that stuff, and they were living out of that person too. By the way, this is not just a Pharisee problem. This is a mankind problem. This is a thing where we sometimes put on like a representation of ourselves to people in one place, and then we have a different way that we live in a completely different place. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone to a youth group and you're, you live one way in front of your youth group friends, but at school you live a different way? Where you come to church and you have one way that you live in front of everybody, but you go to work and they wouldn't know that you love Jesus for one second. Like, we, we kind of do this. Where we're kind of, um, we say, look, it's, it's just, um, you know what we say? If, if you want to get a really good picture of how we get to this place where you can have two different lives, just think of the Bon Jovi song that we sang at the top of this thing. That, that song um, lends itself to people going, yeah, I really want to live well today. And that's part of that song, that sentiment you would, most of us would agree with. I want to live my life well. But did you hear what he talked about as he wrote that song? He said, it's my life. It's my life, and I want to live it my way, right? There's a, there's a part in that song that he's just dead on right. He said, my heart is like an open highway. I don't know if you remember that line, but he's right. You live out of your heart. The course of your life is steered based on what happens in here. And, and he like got to the peak of the song, and you know what he said was the best way like, like Frankie said, I did it my way. And that's what happens. That's how you end up with a different kind of life on the outside and one on the inside. Because you know what's good, right, and true. And so you show that to everybody else. But on the inside, you decide, I'm going to live my way. It's going to be my values. It's no big deal. It's not hurting anybody else. And we think this way. Well, this whole thing started with Jesus talking to the Pharisees about what was happening inside and outside when he was invited to a meal. It was, it was a simple little thing. This started in um, Luke eleven thirty eight. He's invited and he goes and reclines. And we know if he reclines, he's at a triclinium, right? So this is a very... We don't know where he was placed in the order. We don't know the social pecking order. But we know he went and reclined. And then this is what happens. But the Pharisee, the one who invited him to this meal, was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. This is not required in the Torah. This is a rule that the Pharisees added that they said there is a particular way that you have to go about preparing yourself to have a meal with us. And we're watching for it. And when he didn't do it, they assumed he wasn't as righteous as him. Now, this wouldn't have been a problem if the Pharisee who noticed this would have just kept his mouth shut or maybe talked to Jesus about this on the side. But he decides to call Jesus out in front of everybody. Like, I noticed this. And why aren't you doing what we say you should do to be righteous? And it lights the fuse. And it kicks things off. 
and it gets brutal from there. I told you um, there's two sections of Scripture where this is included. Luke tells a story. We've been in there for right now, but I'm going to go back to Matthew. I want to take you there because he's just making sure you get the, the points that Jesus was making, and he lumps them together, which makes it easier for us to cover. So I want to take you to Matthew chapter 23, and in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is going to give the Pharisees seven woes, warnings, like stop this, whoa, slow down, don't do this, woe unto you who do, like you're making huge mistakes, and I'm going to move fast through these seven. I want you to see what they are, and some of them are culturally um, colored, and so we'll, we'll make sure that we help you understand what those are, but Jesus is going right at them. It's like, you, you're calling me out for not washing my hands, your rule, not God's, before a meal, and you're claiming I'm not righteous. Okay, let's get into it. And so he starts, and in verse 13 of um, Matthew 23, he says, whoa, whoa, um, you have become barriers. People are trying to enter the kingdom, and you're in the way. In other words, guys, um, I put you in a place where you could represent me to the world, and when they look, you're a door. You're not a window to God. You're, you're a problem. And he starts off, that's the one, like, this is the problem I have with you. You're a door not a window. People have to actually break you down to get to God. You're not your problem. Goes on. Second woe starts in verse 15. And he says, listen, you care more about rules than anything else. You know all the Torah, but you've added a whole bunch too. And here's the problem. When you go and you convert somebody to follow after me, what you do is you invest in them all the rules that you have. And listen, this is what he says about what they're doing to people. This is the second part of 15, at the end there. He says, you make these converts, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are, which assumes they're a child of hell. But by asking them to concentrate on all the rules, that's all the person does. There's no connection to God. There's no desire to do anything out of love. It is just following the rules, and then they're vicious with other people who aren't following the rules. He goes, you guys, are making the, you guys are making this so much worse than what I intended. The third woe, he says, you lack integrity. The, these guys had the ability to make rules up, and they made them up to serve themselves. They had this thing where um, if you if you developed a contract with somebody and you would swear an oath to fulfill your side of the contract and you swore on the temple that you would fulfill your contract, they would later go back and say, ah, because you didn't swear on the gold in the temple, I can break this contract. And they would break it and enrich themselves by not fulfilling their side of the bargain. And they had other Pharisees who would back them up, who would step up and say, oh, they swore an oath on the temple, but they didn't swear on the gold of the temple. They're out. They don't have to follow through on this. And they were ripping people off left and right because they knew the rules, they were making up the rules, and they were using them to enrich themselves. 
And Jesus calls out the specific examples of how they were doing it. It says, you guys, you lack integrity. You made an oath. Fulfill your oath. Fourth one. It starts in verse 23. It says you really care about the small things. Because they were Pharisees, they, they would have been in the wealthier class, and these people would have had herb gardens in their... Most poor people wouldn't have. They lived in a little single flat, usually on the second floor in a big city, and that's you only went there to sleep. There's nothing else um, for you to do in that place. But otherwise, uh, if you were more wealthy, you would have had a herb garden, and the Pharisees were known to do this. They would go out to their herb garden, and they would pick um, dill, cumin, and they would cut these things up, and they would put it in their food to flavor it, but they would save 10% of that spice, and they would make a big ordeal about it as they approached the temple, and they, they donated it to the priest. Look how awesome we are. We're so righteous that we make sure that we give the smallest amount of spice to God too. Do you do that? Like that's the attitude they would do this with. And Jesus said, that's awesome. You should do that. But you know what I'd love to see from you guys? I'd love to see you value just for once justice, mercy, faithfulness. So you're all concerned about all of these small things and all of these big things are lacking in your life and you don't even give a rip. And then he says this. This is awesome. This is verse 24. He uses an example from their lives. He says, you blind guides... You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. If you were serving a Pharisee in Jesus' time, some wine, you would actually have to put a cloth over the top of that thing, and then you would pour the wine through it. The, the reasoning was, is the wine kind of sat out, and there would be bugs around, and if a, a gnat kind of died in that, and there was a floater, they didn't want to risk it getting in their cup, because if they swallowed that, a gnat was considered non-kosher. So if they swallowed a small gnat, they would have to go and do a ritual cleansing. They'd have to do the bath. They'd have to do a sacrifice. It would take a lot of time and money, and they, they wouldn't risk it. So you had to strain out the wine before they would serve it. So Jesus uses an example from their lives, but then turns around and says, but you would swallow a camel. That's the biggest split hoof that's an unclean animal, the biggest animal they could find. He said, you're worried about a gnat, but you guys would swallow a camel. And in, in essence saying, look, you do all kinds of unclean things in your heart that you don't, even, you don't even give a rip about. You don't care about the stuff that I care about. In fact, you, you do injustice. You have no mercy. There is no faith. And you might as well swallow a whole camel if that's the way you're going to live. Being direct with them. Verse 5, or not, um, fifth woe is in verse 25. He says, you'll clean out the outside of a dish and a cup. But you don't do anything about the inside. Now listen, if, if, have you ever gone over to somebody's house and they served you tea and you looked and there was a little something on the inside of the cup? Now listen, if that happens to you, do you just go, no big deal, I'm not going to bring it up, it'll be uncomfortable, go ahead, pour it, I'll drink it. I bet you do not, right? I bet you go, 
there's something in my cup. Can I get a different cup? The Pharisees, they live their lives like, I'm going to do the best I can on the outside, and I don't care what happens on the inside. You can't see it. Who cares? So they had these messed up, dirty lives. Jesus calls them out for it. Verse 27, he uses this example. He says, you are like whitewashed tombs. The law, the Torah, said that a Jewish person could not touch a dead animal or dead thing. There's a lot of good reasons for that. It would come with disease. It could harm you. So that that was a, a wise boundary. But the Pharisees decided that they would go a step further. And they decided to write laws that said you can't associate with anything that's dead. Which means you can't touch an outside of a tomb. Like, like it's, it's not dead, it's an inanimate object, it's a rock. But if you touch that, you were so close to death that you would be considered unclean and you would have to go to the temple and go through that whole ritual cleansing process. So what they did, they knew where, they knew where the um, cemeteries were, but some of these things would happen on people's places of property. They would, have, uh, they would have a grave there. And so what they asked people to do is once a year, people would go out and they would put a white substance on the tomb so that a Pharisee wouldn't accidentally brush up or touch one of these places and be protected from having to do a ritual cleansing. And Jesus knew about this. And so he uses it as an example and he says to them, listen, guys, you're like that clean tomb, beautiful facade, it's painted white, but on the inside... Bones and death, that's you. You're a bunch of bones and death. You understand how these guys are feeling, a little pressure. The seventh woe is verse 29 to 36. It's complicated and it's terribly ironic. Jesus brings up an example of, uh, again, another tradition that happened during this, in this cultural they would go and decorate the tombs of saints. And they would be seen doing this um, because it, it was a righteous act. So the Pharisees wanted to be seen out there decorating these people who'd been martyred, that sort of thing. And Jesus says, it's ironic. It's ironic that you would want to be seen decorating these things because the way you live, the stuff that's in your heart, in your parents and in your life is the thing that put that person there in the ground in the first place. You know what's terribly ironic? It's exactly what's going to happen with Jesus. See, it's not going to be long before this group of people will find themselves standing in a crowd of people yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Because what was going on in their hearts was going to put the prophet, Jesus, the son of God, in the grave. And he just called them out for it. You want to look good honoring these people, but the, what you carry in your heart, the way you choose to live, what's happening here is so rotten, you put him there. And he calls them out for it. Unfortunately, the Pharisees don't get it. Jesus is trying to help them understand you've got a blind spot. You've got all of this outward stuff that you do that's righteous. It's good. I'd commend other people to do it. 
In fact, Jesus does. He actually commends other people to do it, but he warns them at the same time. This is found in Matthew 3, or Matthew 23, the same chapter where all of this takes place. Jesus is talking to a crowd and his disciples, and he's talking about the Pharisees before he's invited to the home with them. And he says this in verse 3. It says, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. He's talking about the Pharisees. These guys know the law. They know what to do. They know what not to do. You, you should listen to them. They understand this better than anybody else. But then he adds, he adds this, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Don't do. Don't do what they do, they don't live this stuff. There's something going on inside of them. In fact, he calls it out in verse 5. Everything they do is done for people to see. Everything they do is done for people to see. The Pharisees had competing values going on in their lives. They knew what was good, right, and true. In fact, they knew it better than most but they had something inside of them that they had let grown over a period of time. And it was the opposite of what was good, right, and true. And they were okay with it. Uh, by the way, Jesus calls this out over and over again in the text. If you go and read the woes, the seven woes, you are going to see a word repeated often. He's going to say, you're hypocrites. You're hypocrites. You know what's right, but you don't do it. I want to give you my opinion about hypocrisy. That's all it is. I could be wrong. I just don't think I am. I've, I've believed this for a long time. I think every one of us struggles with hypocrisy at some level. It doesn't matter who you are in this room, me, uh, your family, your friends, your coworkers, go to school. Everybody struggles with hypocrisy because it's hard to be consistent. It's hard to be consistent with the values that you hold. And you know what? I think it's even worse for followers of Jesus. I think we're some of the worst hypocrites that exist. And you know why? Because the values that we're pursuing are so lofty. They're incredibly hard. They are worth the pursuit. They're worth your energy and the failing and getting back up and trying again. Do you know what God expects of us? He expects us to have the fruit of the Spirit come out of our lives on a regular basis all the time. Even with our spouses. Like, whoa. That's a line that some, some, hum, somehow has to be crossed, right? That can't be right. No, it, it is. He has this expectation that we would be able to live that way all the time. And so we go off and we pursue it. But it's such a high bar that what, what do you think the chance is that you're going to be able to pull that off with some level of perfection? It's not going to happen. And so there has to be a level of honesty that you have about your failures, where you take those to God and you confess them. And because of his love, your life gets put back on a healthy path. 
But that's not how it happens for many of us. What happens? See, the Pharisees, they didn't become full-blown hypocrites in one moment. They built up to it. And it's exactly what happens in our lives. We have these values that God lays out for us. We have this fruit of the Spirit that we know is valuable. And then we fail, and it's a small thing. It's just a small thing. And we think to ourselves, nobody needs to know about that. It's not hurting anybody. It's just me. I'm the only one who's looking at it. I'm the only one who's thinking it. I'm the only one with that attitude. I'm the only, this is not harming anybody. So I'll just quietly push it down and ignore it. And I'll go on with my life. It seems reasonable, except the problem is when you decide to push something down, instead of bringing that to the grace of God for forgiveness, you're basically telling God that you're going to live your way. I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to cruise through life with this small thing, except it doesn't stay small. That's the, that's the terrible thing about this. The things that you push down in your life, they grow over time. They grow over time and they start to become a different kind of person on the inside than you are on the outside. And you can develop exactly what the Pharisees had. Two different personalities. An external one that they showed to everybody else and an internal one that took advantage of people, stole from people, they, they were rotten to the core. And it's so easy to do when you just ignore it and hope that it will go away. But here's what happens. Over time, as it grows, it starts to leak out. It starts to leak out. Did you wonder why when Jesus starts looking at these Pharisees and saying, woe to you, and he starts going after each kind of thing that they did. You rip people off. You're dirty on the outside. You'd swallow a can. I mean, he's, he's just laying them out. Wouldn't people come to their defense and say, listen, these are righteous people, Jesus. You need to stop this. Knock it off. We know about them. We know how good they are. You know why that didn't happen? They'd been leaking They'd been signing contracts that they cheated people on, and people had to look at that and go, is that right? They did stuff to be seen in public, and people were starting to wonder, what is going on with these guys? And when Jesus put his finger on it, when Jesus said, they're rotten on the inside, a light went off, and people were like, uh, I've seen it, it's been leaking out. And see, that's what happens, is it starts small, it grows, and then it starts to compete. That thing starts to compete inside you with your external self, and you will start to show people that it's rotten in here, whether you like it or not. The stuff that you say, the way that you act, the attitudes that you have, will just start to leak out on everybody around you. So let's say for a second you want to guard against that. You, you don't want to end up where you've got 
this dual kind of life where there's one where you show people an external one and then one internal one that's going in the different directions, where there's a disconnect between your head and your heart. What could you do to prevent that? Um, not long ago, we did a series on prayer, and I hope you guys are still practicing those different types of prayers where you can engage with God. But here's one that I would take before God. God, if it's possible that I've got some hypocrisy in my life, would you please show it to me? See, Jesus was pretty direct with the Pharisees. And I think God would be direct with you. I think he would use the Holy Spirit to be very direct with you if you're open for that kind of interaction. But you've got to put yourself in a place where you're even interested in hearing what he has to say because he said everything he needed to say to the Pharisees and they didn't get it. So if you can put yourself in a place where you genuinely want to hear the Spirit of God communicate to you, we all have different failings, and He'll be faithful to say to you, this is a place where you say one thing and do another. This is a place where you want to look a certain way for people, but this is going on in your heart. And you can pay attention to that. A second thing that you could do, um, boy, I can't believe I'm going to give this one to you. This one's hard. I'm going to read a verse. This is Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. The people who are closest to you have probably attempted in your lifetime to look at you and say, hey, you've got an issue. You're doing something, you're saying something, you're thinking something that's not okay, it's out of bounds. And a lot of times we like to shut that down. No, I want you to be my cheerleader. You don't get to tell me bad things. Like my, my wife does this for me, and I like it that she's my biggest cheerleader. But there are times when she has to tell me hard things, and I can tell you I don't enjoy it at all. But you know why she's able to do that? Because when it leaks out of me, she's the first one to see it. And the people who are close to you will be the first ones to see it. And if you can welcome their input, if you can start to let your guard down and actually hear what they have to tell you, you could prevent yourself from developing an internal self that's different from your external self. They'll tell you when you're messing up. But you have to have the courage to take those wounds from a friend. Now here's the third thing that I think you'd be wise to do. I, I do have people in my life, people who are close to me who do that, but I've also done this. I've cultivated friendships outside of those close family and um, ties that I've had with other people who are like-minded. They, they care about the same values I care about. They care about God. And, and over time, we've developed a level of trust with each other so that I can actually reveal what's going on in my heart to that person and they can do the same for me and nobody freaks out. What? You think that? You say that? You did that? None of that happens. They're only there to say, listen, Blair, if you genuinely care about God, you can't let that go on in your life. I'll walk with you. I've got your back in this, but you're right that that's not okay. And they'll tell me the truth. 
It, it's why um, we ask people to get connected around here. Because you've got, you've got to create a group of people who are like-minded like you that will have the courage to speak into your life. And more than that, because you've developed a relationship with each other, you'll have the courage to tell them the truth about what's happening in your life. You just reveal stuff, and you know they're going to walk with you. See, this is, these steps are kind of important to do. I don't know, I don't know, so let me just ask you this question, just to be direct. Is there a place of hypocrisy going on in your life right now? You know what's good, right, and true. You're not doing it. And you've excused it, you've justified it, you've tried to ignore it. If you're not careful, you can become a double-minded person where you show people one side of yourself and the second side of yourself goes in an opposite direction and will eventually leak out of your life and mess it up. This is what happens. So if you, if you can identify that, or maybe you're like, man, nothing comes to mind right now, but maybe one of those three things that I've talked about, you could start working on. That You could take this to God and say, look, is there anything that I need to be aware of? Because I want to deal with anything that I've got that's hypocrisy. Maybe you could start to become sensitive to the people who are close to you. Instead of shutting them down, listen to what they're saying. They could be protecting you from this dual life that we're so easily create inside ourselves. Or maybe some of you need to start working at finding a group of friends where you can be honest and truthful with, and they can do the same for you as a protection for, uh, for everybody involved. Since I believe we all struggle with this, I think there are steps we all need to take, adjustments we need to make to honor God inside and outside. I hope you'll be careful to examine your life over the next week and give God a chance to adjust something in you. Can I pray with you? God, I'm so grateful that your love is the basis for our choices. You love us, and so out of a desire to honor you, to live in a way that honors you, we want to love you back. And yet sometimes these small things happen in our lives, and we think it's just not a big thing. I don't, nobody needs to know. Nobody needs to see that I'm wrestling with this. God, I ask you would Give us the courage to reveal those kind of things, knowing that they are not small, they will grow, they will mess up our lives. That what you have in mind for us is not coming to church and looking one way and going someplace else and living another way. You want our whole selves. God, the Pharisees couldn't hear it, but we're offering our hearts to you today. You need to speak to us. I ask that your spirit would. That it would rattle our cage. Help us face what we need to face. And start making decisions that honor you. God, we don't want to be the kind of people who miss out on your love 
because we're doing it our way. Be our guide in Jesus' name. Amen.